Chapter twenty eight of the Life of Kit Carson by Edward S. Ellis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The indignation over the action of the Indians was so great that retaliatory measures were determined upon. Fremont moved around Lake Klamath until nearly opposite where his command had been attacked. The following morning, Carson and ten men were sent forward to search for the Indian village that was believed to be somewhere in the neighborhood. If the discovery could be made without detection on the part of the Indians, Carson was instructed to signal to Fremont, who would hasten forward with reinforcements. The mountaineer had not gone far when he struck a broad, clear trail which speedily carried him in sight of a village of some fifty lodges. As it was evident that the Indians had detected their danger, Carson and his companions made an impetuous attack before which the red men fled in wildest panic. A number were shot, when, finding pursuit useless, Carson returned to the village where all the lodges were destroyed. Because of the war with Mexico, Fremont decided to return to California. On his way thither, the Klamath Indians continually dogged them, and a number of collisions followed, though none was of particular moment. After suffering many hardships, Lawson's fort was reached, and several days were spent in hunting. While Fremont awaited instructions as to the course he was to take in the war, then going on between the United States and Mexico. As the days went by without bringing him any dispatches, he wearied of inactivity and decided to assume the aggressive. Accordingly, he sent a force to a Mexican military post known as Sonoma, which with little trouble was taken. Fremont sent out a couple of messengers to inform the American settlers of what had taken place, but the messengers fell into the hands of General Castro, who put both to death. General Castro sent one of his captains with quite a force to destroy the Americans, but the officer changed his mind when he found himself in the neighborhood of the detested invaders. Fremont pursued him for nearly a week, and captured much of his stock and property, but the Mexican was so skillful in retreating that he could not be brought to bay, and Fremont returned to Sonoma. The little force under Fremont now became the rallying point for the American settlers, and before long the captain had several hundred under his command. Leaving a garrison at Sonoma, he marched to Sutter's Fort, which was placed under military rule, and then made his way toward Monterey with the purpose of capturing that town. On his arrival, however, he found the place had already been taken by Commodore Sloat and the American squadron. The Commodore leaving shortly after, Commodore Stockton succeeded him. While at Sonoma, Fremont and his comrades had declared the independence of California and adopted the bear flag, which was proffered to Commodore Sloat, and the star-spangled banner hoisted over the camp. As the Mexican General Castro was known to be at Los Angeles, Fremont asked for and obtained a ship, on which his force was taken to San Diego. Then, with a much inferior force, he set out to give battle to the Mexican leader. But the latter no sooner learned of his coming than he fled with all his men. Finding it impossible to force him to give battle, Fremont encamped near the town, where he waited until joined by Commodore Stockton and a company of Marines. The junction effected, they marched upon Los Angeles, which immediately fell into their hands. Long before this, Fremont had become impressed with the necessity of having some communication with Washington. In one sense, it may be said, he was all at sea, for he was without positive instructions at a critical period. 
when it was most important that his line of policy should be clearly defined by his government. But the matter of communicating with headquarters, thousands of miles away, was infinitely more difficult and serious than it is today. A vast, wild, perilous, and almost unknown tract stretched between the Pacific and Atlantic, across which it required weeks and sometimes months for an express rider to make his way. To send dispatches from Cape Horn took a much longer time, but the necessity was so urgent that Fremont sent Carson with fifteen picked men across the plains, instructing him to complete the journey, if possible, in sixty days. Carson started in the middle of September, 1846, and by the exercise of his consummate skill he passed rapidly through a most dangerous section without running into any special danger until the third day. Then, when in the neighborhood of the copper mines of New Mexico, he suddenly came upon an encampment of Apaches, one of the most hostile tribes and the most daring of fighters in the whole Southwest. This was another of those critical occasions where Carson's wonderful quickness of mind enabled him to make the right decision without a second's delay. He understood the language, customs, and peculiarities of the people, and he knew them to be splendid riders and tiger-like warriors. The least evidence of timidity would invite an overwhelming attack. A bold front and what may be called indomitable cheek were all that was likely to take them through. Telling his men to halt, Carson galloped forward until within a few rods of the warriors, when he reined up and called out what he wished to hold a parley with them. Thereupon a number advanced to hear what he had to say. The mountaineer stated that he and his friends were simply travelers through the Apache country. While they were prepared for war, they desired peace, and as their animals were tired out, they wished to exchange them for fresh ones. The Apaches expressed themselves satisfied with the proposal, and Carson carefully chose a camping site where they could best protect themselves against treachery. Then the exchange was made, both parties being so well satisfied that they parted with many expressions of good will. It was impossible to carry any extended stock of provisions, the party depending upon their rifles to supply their needs in that direction but game proved to be very scarce, and they suffered much until they reached the first Mexican settlement. Although those people were at war with the United States, their friendship for Carson led them to supply abundantly all the wants of himself and friends. With unremitting diligence and skill, the party pushed on day after day until the 6th of October, when as they were riding across a treeless prairie, several moving specks were observed in the far horizon. As they came closer, they resolved themselves into horsemen, and with a delight which may be imagined, Carson speedily observed that they were a detachment of United States troops, under the command of General S. W. Kearney, who was highly pleased to meet Carson. The detachment was a strong one, and was on its way to operate in California. After that officer had obtained all the important news Carson had to give, he decided to send the dispatches to Washington by another, while he employed the mountaineer to guide him back. This delicate duty was executed with such admirable skill that General Kearney commended Carson in the highest terms. So rapidly did they move that California was entered early in December, and they were approaching San Diego 
when the scouts brought news that a large party of Mexicans were entrenched a short distance ahead, with the intention of disputing their advance. Fifteen men under Carson were sent forward to drive in the outposts and capture such loose animals as could be found. A fierce fight followed, the Mexicans showing far more daring and skill than was expected. General Kearney was compelled to send two companies of dragoons and twenty-five California volunteers to charge the enemy. Carson was in the front column and was riding at high speed when his horse stumbled, throwing him so violently as to shatter the stock of his gun. He lay partly stunned, but speedily recovering, he caught up the rifle of a dead dragoon and rushed into the fight. Though the Mexicans were finally driven out, they inflicted frightful loss on the Americans. Nearly every man who was in the front column, where Carson was riding when his horse threw him, was killed by the deadly bullets of the enemy. The Mexicans soon rallied and attacked the Americans with such fierceness that the advance guard was driven back and forced to act on the defensive. No soldiers could have fought with greater gallantry than did the assailants. Before the two mountain howitzers could be unlimbered, almost every man around them was shot down. Then the Mexicans charged forward, lassoed the horses, captured one of the guns, and turned it on the Americans. From some cause or other it could not be discharged. Finally, the Americans took refuge among the rocks, where they were surrounded by three or four times their number, seemingly with the choice of two courses before them. To surrender or starve to death. End of chapter 28